tonight, superstar ballerina Misty Copeland and her groundbreaking new dance program for New York City kids. How she's helping the next generation of Black and Latino dancers chase their dreams by transforming the world of ballet into a more inclusive place. Metro Focus starts right now. This is Metro Focus with Raphael P. Roman, Jack Ford, and Jenna Flanagan. Metro Focus is made possible by Sue and Edgar Wackenheim III, the Peter G. Peterson and Joan Ganscony Fund, Bernard and Denise Schwartz, Barbara Hope Zuckerberg, the Ambrose Monell Foundation, and by Jody and John Arnhold, Dr. Robert C. and Tina Schoen Foundation, the Ambrose Monell Foundation, and the estate of Roland Carlin. Good evening and welcome to Metro Focus. I'm Jenna Flanagan. Dance superstar Misty Copeland knows a thing or two about breaking barriers, and this fall she's pointing to the power of ballet to help New York City kids chase their dreams. Copeland, the first Black woman to become a principal dancer at the American Ballet Theater, recently launched the Be Bold Initiative, a free 12-week program for children 8 through 10 that includes about 120 students from local boys and girls clubs. The goal is to eventually train and mentor thousands, especially Black and Latino New Yorkers, often not seen on stage. This month, Misty is also paying tribute to her trailblazing teacher with the release of her memoir, The Wind at My Back, Resilience, Grace, and Other Gifts from my mentor, Raven Wilkinson, which she'll be discussing this Tuesday night at the Upper West Side Symphony Space. And it's so good to welcome Misty Copeland back to Metro Focus as part of our Chasing the Dream initiative on poverty, justice, and economic opportunity in America. Misty, it is so great to have you back on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really, really excited. Well, I'm really, really curious to hear more about this program. And usually when a new initiative launches, uh, one of the things I'm always curious about is why now? And I'm sure as a dancer, you know, timing is everything. So why was this the moment to launch a program like this? Yeah, thank you so much for, for asking me this question and, and specifically about the program and the foundation. Um, you know, I think about my whole career <laughs> and, uh, you know, this being a really like a full circle moment and, and a culmination of everything that I've worked for, the missions and the goals that I've had throughout my career, which, you know, has really been to bring more diversity, equity and inclusion into ballet and to bring it to a broader audience to to inform more people about what it really is and all of the incredible tools that you can learn by being uh, introduced to, by having it be a part of your life and your world, live music and movement, what it means for a child. So, you know, I think that throughout the course of the, the pandemic and, you know, the, the uprise of Black Lives Matter, there's been a real uh, it's really affected the classical ballet world, I think, in a way that a lot of people don't realize. Um, I've seen a lot of progress and change in the last three years, more so than I have in my entire 20 plus year career. I feel like now um, is a moment where we really need to be uh, doing everything we can as black and brown people for our communities. 
to really make an impact. And so, you know, with starting the Misty Copeland Foundation, it was really important for me that with the first program, that it be something that I think children right now in this moment can really benefit from by being outdoors, by being in a space where they're surrounded by their peers, where they're communicating, they're using their bodies. You know, again, coming off the pandemic, I think that this is uh, a really powerful class for these children to have access to. So it's, as you're saying, it's an after-school ballet class. Uh, Be Bold stands for Ballet Explorations. Ballet offers leadership development. So while we would love to uh, have the next Misty Coke the next Calvin Royale, the next Raven Wilkinson come out of this program, you know, it's really about exposing children to uh, joyful rigor, as I like to call it, um, that, you know, giving them a new perspective on what ballet is, bring it to communities, black and brown communities. So the, the first five uh, sites that we have the program implemented in are in the Bronx. Um, it's it's really powerful and to be able to have uh, created this curriculum from the ground up. So it's not your typical ballet class. It's really uh, making it more accessible and fun uh, for different communities. Well, you know, there's so much to unpack there. And one of the things that I did want to make sure that we were clear for the whole audience, and that is uh, things people might not realize about the inclusiveness or perhaps the lack thereof in the ballet world. And so, so many people might know your origin story, but just remind us when you first started taking ballet, where was that? What was it like? And how did you, did you immediately fall in love or was it perhaps something you grew to love? Yeah. Um, this It really is a full circle moment having uh, this program at the Boys and Girls Clubs um, where, where they are right now. Um, I took my first ballet class at a Boys and Girls Club when I was 13 years old on a basketball court. I had a ballet teacher, Cynthia Bradley, who was the local teacher, had her school in San Pedro, California, where I grew up. And she was looking for opportunities to um, reach and have access to more diverse students so she could uh, bring them into her school on full scholarship. And um, I happen to be one of those students. And my life has been, I mean, completely changed by having the opportunity to be exposed to an art form. It changed the way that I was learning in school. Not every child learns the same. That's why I think the arts are so important for children to be exposed to. Um, I started to develop as a, as a human being in ways that I don't think I would have had I not been introduced to it. Um, so, you know, going from um, a basketball court uh, to American Ballet Theater within four years, uh, you know, I wouldn't have had that opportunity were it not for a program like I'm creating with the Bebold program. Well, I also want to ask about some of the uh, stereotypes that continue and persist within the ballet world. And one of them that's quite prominent, I think, especially for a lot of uh, Black and Latino girls, would be body type. Do you have the right kind of body type? Uh, Traditionally, that's been very slender, very European. And for a lot of girls, especially um, in those communities, that's not the case. How do you, I guess, bridge that gap and let those kids know that actually your body is okay and it's more about, you know, the movement and the dance, et cetera? 
Yeah, I mean, so much of that is is the the language we're using. It's having representation, you know, with the, with the Be Bold program. You know, it's been important for me with the teaching artists that we have that we've trained in the curriculum that they look like the students that they are teaching, that they can relate to them and connect to them through the language they use, through the commonality and understanding of backgrounds. Like you were saying, there's such a lack and there has been throughout the history of ballet, such a lack of, of representation and diversity um, in these elite companies. You know, you think of American Ballet Theater, San Francisco Ballet, New York City Ballet, the Bolshoi, the Paris Opera, Royal Ballet. I mean, the majority of them have not had black and brown dancers reach the you know top tiers of those companies. So, um, you know, when I think about body type, for me, uh, I think there's so many different body types within the ballet world, and we don't talk about what that looks like when they're when those skin color is white. Uh, you know, for me, people meet me in person, and they're always floored by how petite I am, because the 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 conversation around me has often been, you don't have the right body type, your muscles are too big, your breasts are too big, you're too curvy. Um, and I've had to really step back and decipher what that language means, and for the most part, it's meant you don't have the right skin color. And this is an acceptable way that we can exclude you. And that's been the, a lot of black and brown women in particular, their, their experiences in, in the classical ballet world. Um, I think that all body types uh, can dance and move and tell a story. And I see that in the, the dancers next to me that have white skin. And so that's why it's allowed me to step back and say, what's going on here? Because I see a girl who looks like that has a similar body to me or is bigger than me or has bigger muscles. And so I think it's about being really clear about what it is we're saying um, and having representation in all spaces. It's not just about the dancers we see on the stage. It's the board of directors. It's the teachers. It's it's the staffing. Um, it's the audience members. And also for the kids, because you also talk uh, a lot in the book, and we're going to get more in depth into that, but about uh, the stereotypes just in the dance world and how it's not unusual for young dancers of color to perhaps be encourage to maybe modern dance or maybe you want to do something that's more urban or something and maybe that would be a better fit um how do you hope to again let the kids who are going to be in the people program know that no this is a space where you can thrive as well yeah, that's that was my experience. That was Raven Wilkinson's experience, my mentor, uh, you know, in in this book. Um, I think that it's important that we acknowledge different cultures uh, in this program. You know, I think that it's important that we are aware of uh, where we're at, you know, within the Bronx and what these children look like, what languages they speak at home, what music they listen to at home and, and letting them know that um, this is American ballet and it should look like and represent America. And that's a melting pot of cultures. Um, and so, you know, again, I think having the representation there in the room, people that can speak to these dancers, um, which I'm calling them, not students, <laughs> but they're dancers from the moment they step into that studio um, and giving them an experience where they feel like they're seen, they're heard, giving them the ability to have more of a voice 
voice, which isn't often encouraged, or you don't often see that in the ballet structure, but in the, the curriculum that we've built in the framework, it's allowing for them to have more of an identity as, as a person and as an individual. Um, and I think that that will really change the way people look at ballet and dance, that it's it's possible because once you become a professional, they expect you to have all of, all of this shading and layering. You know, you become an artist and they want you to have these human experiences and bring in your all of your, you know, whatever it is. So I think we need to start from, from, you know, the beginning with children. Well, you sort of laid out uh, what you, the plan is and how this is going to work, but just one more time, just to be clear, how would uh, these after school, this after school program work? Like when kids get out of school, they're going to, and then fill in the blank. Yes. So um, most of these children that we have access to right now are already members of the Boys and Girls Club. Uh, so this is not, you know, this again, this is the beginning stages. We just launched in September. Uh, so right now where we, we are, where we are starting is with Boys and Girls Clubs because it, it it made sense. They were prepared and ready. They had the space um, uh, and everything kind of set in structure. Uh, but these uh, it will eventually be in different community centers in different communities. Um, but the child can sign up for the class. Um, they will go after school. It's an hour long class. And again, it's, it's twice a week and it's for 12 weeks. They'll be able to have access to mentoring and tutoring, all of these things that are implemented already in these community centers like the Boys and Girls Club. Well, speaking of mentoring, let's actually get into uh, your book, The Wind at My Back. One of the things I thought was so interesting was that you opened up with uh, the scene, or at least your recollections of the scene of watching now Supreme Court Justice Ketanji Brown Jackson go through her confirmation process. And just that experience of how you related to, you actually know what it's like to be the only black person in a room that might be either low key or just outwardly aggressively hostile to your uh, being there. And I'm wondering how you were able to draw on the mentorship that you got from Raven Wilkinson, who, as you point out in the book, was there at an even earlier time when the hostility would have been much more overt. Yeah, I mean, the moment that I learned of Raven's story, um, I was at a very critical, it was a critical moment in time in my career. I was a soloist at American Ballet Theater, still alone, still the only Black woman in the company, which I was for the first decade of my career, and really still searching for uh, my purpose. You know, was this really the place for me um, existing, you know, day in and day out? Every, you know, be, living in a diverse city like New York City, um, but then, but then I'm spending eight hours a day only seeing white people in a building rehearsing. Um, you know, it, it was a bit confusing as to like if this really was the path for me. And then seeing Raven's story, learning of her through a documentary about the Ballerus de Monte Carlo, which is the company that she danced in. She's the first and only black woman to dance in that company and had a fairly short stint there because of racism. Uh, the company would tour through the South and uh, experiencing, you know, the KKK catching wind that she was there and on tour with the company and seeing her story, I immediately felt like I saw myself and it was exhilarating to learn of another black woman who literally walked it in my path 50 years prior. And also it was devastating to know that so little had changed 
um, and that so few people know of her story. And so I felt this huge uh, responsibility in the most beautiful way to tell her story that my purpose was so much bigger than me. It became less about reaching this goal of becoming a principal dancer and focusing on, you know, being the best dancer I could be, but what it meant to have the platform I have and use it in a way where I could um, impact or influence or, or change the course of someone's life, give them, uh, you know, the ability to see themselves through me. Um, so, you know, it's been such an honor to be able to share her story, um, through this book. Of course. And, you know, it sort of begs the question, at least to me, because right now we definitely see a place where so many young people are, especially young people of color are asking themselves, you know, is it worth the amount of emotional, spiritual abuse that it takes to be the first one to break into a space where people of color hadn't been before and on top of that dare to lead um for you looking back on not just your experience but raven's experience and you mentioned so many other by the way groundbreaking dancers in the book but what how do you see it ultimately being worth it i mean i would do it again and again and again a hundred times um when i see the young people the young black and brown people who are coming to see performances, who are at the stage door, who feel seen and feel heard and feel like even if the, you know, their path isn't dance, that they, uh, you know, would put themselves in a position to, you know, be the only, to be the first, whatever it is, to push and persevere in, in a lane where, you know, they're not celebrated or seen or given opportunities to, then that's worth it, um, you know, to, I mean, what Raven experienced, I feel like I went through like this much, <laughs> this much of you know, the pain and, you know, all of the heartache and the ups and downs, having her life threatened. I mean, that's on another level from, you know, what I've experienced in my career, um, that it, it makes it all worth it if we're going to change the trajectory of so many young black and brown dancers in, in the future. Well, you know, when you mention uh, the young people who come and see you now, uh, can you mentioned it once before when you were on Metro Focus with my colleague, Jack Ford, but I'm wondering if you could just reiterate for us, what was your experience when you first saw Raven dance and what did that do for you? I mean, I didn't see her dance live because I was too young or not born <laughs> yet. Um, but when I saw her for the first time on screen and I saw her in what is considered one of the most uh, white roles um, as a sylph in the ballet Les Sylphides, which is considered one of the white ballets, the ballet blancs, um, to see her, I mean, that became one of her like iconic roles, um, to see her on the screen uh, dancing. I mean, it was like eye-opening. I literally, felt like, oh, I do belong in this space and I do have a history in this space. And it was important for me to dig deeper and understand all of the Black dancers who have, who have come before me, who have allowed for me to be here, um, who, have, who have slowly carved away at that you know, glass ceiling um, in order for me to be in the position that I'm in. So, you know, I understand the, the importance of being on the stage and for young people to see me. And I had that experience that, you know, the first time that I really saw a huge change and, and um, 
you know, an impact on, on my community was the first time I danced the Firebird at Lincoln Center at the Metropolitan Opera House back in 2012. Um, it was the first time, you know, I was doing the the lead, the principal role in a full-length classical work. It was the first time a Black woman was performing that role at ABT. Um, and my community showed up and, and turned out. And more than half of the Met was full of Black and Brown people and young, young people. And it was so powerful. And I feel like the audiences have changed ever since. But I do want to also ask because progress isn't something as much as one person carries. It's very much a group effort. And yet there still seem to be perhaps some uh, stumbling blocks for the ballet community. And a perfect example of that would be when you uh, called out the Bolshoi for their use of blackface, even very recently, and the backlash that it incurred. Can you sort of tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, it's definitely, um, it needs to be a community effort. And, um, you know, I think that it started for me with having the support of the Black community, uh, you know, before I have had the support of the ballet community. Uh, but as you were saying, like a, a prime example of that is, is um, you know, when it's, it's kind of a known thing in the ballet world and no one just really talks about it. But um, at, at, in Europe and a lot of companies and the Bolshoi Ballet in Russia and, and, and specifically still perform um, certain ballets in, in blackface um, as they originally were created and intended. Um, and I felt like, you know, this is something that needs to be talked about. Um, the fact that this is not just, uh, these aren't just performances that are happening there in Russia. Everyone has access to seeing these things online, on Instagram, on YouTube. And that's where I saw it. I saw it being posted on Instagram by dancers who are in the company. Um, and instead of getting backing and support from the ballet community, everyone just kind of put their hands up and shut their mouths. And I was left there out, out there on an island um, to have, you know, these Russian uh, uh, whatever newspapers and <laughs> attacking me. Um, and, you know, we, we have come uh, a little bit of ways closer to, uh, you know, being able to have these conversations internally within the ballet community, you know, post George Floyd's murder, I've, I've seen a, a change, more of a change than I've ever seen in, in my 20 plus years in, in the ballet world. So there is some change happening, but we all have to continue to speak up and, um, and point out the importance of uh, acknowledging that whole communities are being hurt and affected when we continue this rhetoric um, and that it's important for us to make progress and grow with the stories we're telling and that those stories should represent all communities who are coming to support the ballet. Well, I do, and I want to ask about uh, representation, especially with one of the recent all-Black productions that took place. But before we get to that, I just also want to ask about an un, perhaps an unlikely person who supported you in the Black community, and that of all people was Prince. What role <laughs> did he play in supporting you? You know, I've had such an amazing journey and privilege and honor of having incredible mentors in my life. Um, and they've majority been Black women. Uh, my husband, though, being an amazing Black man and someone that's been such a huge influence in, uh, in my life. But um, Prince coming into my life, he came into my life um, before Raven. Uh, 
actually it might've been around the same time as Raven. And, um, and it was so encouraging and inspiring and impactful to have someone of his level of artistic genius and, um, you know, with his platform and the way he speaks up and, and spoke up and stood up for his community always, um, you know, to have him say to me, you know, when I'm in ABT thinking I'm, I'm alone, I'm isolated, I'm the only, and he's like, this is fantastic. You know, you're an individual, you're the only one, you stand out. This is amazing. And I never looked at my career in that way. And he kind of changed my perspective and how I looked at um, the power I, I could hold if I have the support, the power that I could hold by being the only, and and to have someone like him, you know, who su- was such a unique individual, uh, you know, kind of explain to me what it is to have power and and own and own that uniqueness. Um, it it played a big role in the person that I am today. So, Missy, not only um, some of the experience that you've had, but also, did you ever think that there would be a point when there would be an all-Black production in the American Ballet Theater? For example, Lifted that recently happened that seemed to be incredibly groundbreaking. Yeah, I I don't know that I could say that 20 years ago that I could have imagined um you know, Christopher Rudd's lifted, you know, uh, an all black creative process production from the conductor to the composer, the costume designers, the the dancers. Um, It's incredible to see representation from all angles coming together and that American Ballet Theater put this production on, um, you know, starting out as the only black woman. Again, it was like, I, I didn't, I didn't even know if I'd ever see a black choreographer come into this space. So um, this is a lot of progress. And I know that uh, so many young people who are looking at all of these black creatives being seen in this space at this level, I know it's going to spark interest for them to want to enter into these lanes. And it's really, really exciting. Of course, of course. And it's not just working in the field is not just being on stage, but it's also a lot of is behind the scenes. So that's very important. Yes. Well, we've got about 30 seconds left, but I'd be remiss if I didn't mention you are also a new mommy. How has that changed your perspective? Uh, I, I guess I'll know, more <laughs> when I'll know more when I'm back on stage and uh, after having been a mom, because I still haven't been back on stage. But, um, you know, it's it makes you take a step back and look at your life and, and think that, you know, you're really not that important. <laughs> <laughs> There's someone else there that's so much more important that you want to just fill with love and, and opportunity and, and access and all the things you didn't have. And I'm just, I can't wait to see them grow up. All right. Well, Misty Copeland, of course, uh, Be Bold is the new initiative. And of course, look for her new memoir, The Wind at My Back, Resilience, Grace, and Other Gifts from my mentor, Raven Wilkinson. Misty, thank you so much for joining us again on Metro Focus. And we look forward to hearing more about the Be Bold program. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks for tuning into Metro Focus. Take our award-winning program wherever you go with Metro Focus, the podcast. Listen and subscribe wherever you get podcasts so you never miss an episode. Or simply ask your smart speaker to play Metro Focus, the podcast. Also available at wliw.org radio and on the NPR One app.